0: Welcome. So, um, let's talk about the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. If you have not yet gotten the book, I highly recommend you get the book. Um, I like the book. It's really, uh, Baruch Hashem, it's been very well received. Um, my goal in writing the book was to give over a good, basic understanding of what a marriage needs, what a marriage, how a successful marriage should look. Because ironically, people could be married for years, and I mean years, and not have an understanding of what a marriage needs, what a marriage's about, and before you know it, everyone has their, their story. My spouse is not this, my spouse is not that, if only my spouse were or whatever. And before you know it, everybody is disappointed, and their issues and stuff start coming up. And um, again, I have to recommend the ten really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. If you want to, if you're not married yet, please get it. If you're married, if you want to make a good marriage great, if you want to make a great marriage even better, um, I highly recommend the book. It deals with the basics of a successful marriage. Gender differences, understanding the relationship on a deeper level, um, and the art of the apology, which is something that is very, very tricky. Uh, you know, we all become victims. Anytime any spouse gets into anything with their spouse, Everybody's a victim. That's just the reality. That's just the way it is. Because I may have said something, she said, I said, she said, before you know it, everybody's hurt, and everybody just feels their pain. And and the ability to identify where things are going wrong, what needs to be improved, um, isn't so simple. I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of couples over the past 15 years, and I have to be honest with you. The reason I wrote the book is because I saw... The dumb mistakes, the 10 really dumb mistakes, over and over and over again. Many, many couples have nothing fundamentally wrong with them. It's not like she's a gambler, he's a shopaholic, or the opposite. It's, they're just, they're good people. Find me, dose, put together, everything's good. <clears throat> but for some reason, they're not connecting, and there's trouble and issues and stuff. Um, I guarantee, you read the book, at many times during the book, you're going to go, Oh... Now I understand. Now I get it. Um, so, in any case, if you'd like a copy, go to theshmooze.com. Again, I highly recommend it, theshmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. The copies are available there. If you go to schmooz.com and purchase it, you'll also get the audiobook, the ebook, as well as access to the Marriage Transformation Bootcamp. You can buy the store. You can buy it in the Storm store, uh, but if you buy it online, again, you'll also get the audiobook, the ebook, as well as the Marriage Transformation Bootcamp, Camp is just, it's a bonus, it's a free bonus, uh, so please go to theschmooze.com and you could order it there, if you have any questions let me know, uh, but again, I, I highly I highly recommend it, we sent out almost a thousand copies to chasen teachers, kala teachers, marriage therapists, and I've been getting rave reviews, the therapists, the, they want to buy copies, they want to give it to my people, I want to give it out, I've so it's, it really is a very, I think it's a very fundamental and very important book. If you haven't gotten a chance to get a copy yet, theshmooz.com, go to the homepage, you'll see a banner, you just click, it'll take you right there. And again, if you order it online at theschmooze.com, you get not just the hardcover book, but you also get the audio book, the ebook, as well as the Marriage Transformation bootcamp. Camp. Okay, please feel free. Um, yes, let's make marriage great again. by the way don't think i didn't think about making red caps with the uh make marriage great again logo on it um we don't want to get too political here um but i am wearing my red tie uh maybe we got to do it maga caps make marriage great again uh it doesn't quite you know maga so but all right i agree it's a great idea um and uh, maybe we should do the caps yet we should do the the red uh, MAGA caps. Uh, but alright, <laughs> hopefully Mitzvah Okay, so, please feel free to use the Q&A. After I'm done, I, I very much welcome questions. What I'll do is, I'll you'll, if you'll raise your hand, I'll gladly call on you. If you're a little shy and you prefer typing in the question, you're more than welcome to type it in into the Q&A. And I will try to get to the questions once I'm done. So please feel free, you can type in questions in the Q&A, either... During this year or after, um, etc. Again, I will. I very much welcome raising hands uh, when we start. That you can really. Uh, I, I greatly appreciate that because it's a lot easier to answer. So you can raise your hand um, and uh, and ask a question. Um, okay. Um, okay. Let's uh, let's get started. Let's begin. Moshe Rabbeinu was sent on the greatest shlichus imaginable. Hashem chose him to be the messenger, the one to save the Jewish nation, take them out of bondage. But it wasn't simply an issue of taking the Jewish nation out of bondage. He was to be the leader, the manik, the one to receive the Torah. And clearly, it was the greatest honor a human being could be given. Nevertheless, from the moment that Moshe Rabbeinu entered into the shlichus, it turned badly. The oppression became far worse, and the slavery became more intense. And every time Moshe came to Paro, it was clear that things were getting worse and worse. And, and while Moshe have certainly understood that this was Hashem's plan, he also turned to Hashem at a certain point and said, Why have you made it bad to this people? Why have you sent me? Hashem, you have a cheshben, you have a reason why you want to increase the oppression, why you want to increase the torture, that's fine, but count me out of it. I don't want to be a part of torturing my people, I don't want to be a part of the bloodletting, leave me out. And while the word was said out of tremendous love and the dedication of a manhig, nevertheless, there was a complaint. And the word tells us that Hashem says, Chaval al di avdim It's a shame that which we used to have and we no longer have. Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, those are great people. They never complained, never asked questions. I told Avram, he'll have a land that's so wide and so vast. He goes to bury his wife and has to pay 400 shekel, <coughs> tremendous price. He could have asked a question, he didn't ask. So to Yitzhak, so to Yaakov, the others never asked. You, Moshe a one bump in the road and it's They don't make them like they used to. And that's the Gemara. And the only problem with this Gemara is, and that it's very clear from this Gemara, that Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, those were great people. Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, you're good, you're, you're impressive, but you're nowhere near the Avos. The problem is that we know the opposite to be true. <clears throat> the Rambam tells us that Moshe Beno and Moshe Beno alone was the Av Bechokmah, Av Benavua. He reached the greatest level of clarity, the greatest level of understanding, the greatest level of Dvekas Tashem. The Achronim used an expression, Bechir Shibamin ha'anushi, single greatest human being who ever lived. So here's the question. We know factually that Moshe Menu towered over the others. As great as the others were, Moshe Menuh was in a different league. Yet this Gemara seems to imply, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, those are great people. You Moshe, you know nowhere near them. How do we reconcile this Gemara with the simple reality that Moshe Menu was in fact far greater than were the others? And to answer this question, I think what we need to do is define two concepts. These are concepts that we throw around all the time, we use them flippantly, and I believe very few people could accurately define exactly the meaning of these concepts. Concept number one is Emunah, concept number two is "bitahan." And let's try to define them and understand what they are and how they manifest themselves. So let's begin. Probably the simplest way to define emuna is to use the expression used in the animamin, which is called from the from the Rambam's writings, animamin bemuna I accept with total understanding, total veracity. Shaborius barachshemo that who borei He is the Creator and one who orchestrates the world. lavado asa and He alone did does and will do all activities in the world. In plain, simple language, no happenstance, no random occurrences, Hashem intimately involved in the running of every single human being's life, every single action under the sun, everything that happens, Hashem's direct involvement. That's emuna. It's a cognition, a recognition, an understanding that Hashem created, maintains, and orchestrates this world. But that's not bitochen. Bitochen is something very, very different. Bitochen means trust. The Chavazalavos use the expression, it's like taking my heavy load and transferring it to Hashem. And recognizing that Hashem has my back, Hashem is taking care of me, relying on Hashem, trusting Hashem. Emuna is a cognition, is an understanding that Hashem runs the world. Bitochen is trusting Hashem, relying on Hashem. And interestingly enough, you could have emuna. You could know that Hashem runs the world, but that doesn't necessitate b'tochan. And I'll give you a classic example, none other than Paro. Kol ben hayelud haya any boy born, throw him into the Nile. Says the Medrash, Eitz Amuka, wise advice. Paro was faced with the population explosion, and the Jewish people were going to overrun Mitzrayim because they were giving birth at such an incredible rate. And He said to His people, Don't be fools. If you're going to burn the Jewish babies, God is going to burn you. If you're going to hang the Jewish babies, God will hang you. Listen to me. God promised He'll never bring another mabel. God pays back mida k'nege mida, measure for measure. If we drown the babies, God's going to want to pay us back by drowning us. He promised He'll never bring another flood. Eitz amuka, He gave wise advice. Now here's the point. Clearly, Paro recognized that Hashem is present, that Hashem runs the world, and he even recognized some of the mido, some of the measures with which Hashem runs the world. Mida, measure for measure. He had a Muna, he recognized Hashem. He sure didn't have Bittachon. He didn't trust in Hashem, quite the opposite. He's waging war against God. muna is the understanding that Hashem runs the world. Bittachon is entrusting, relying on Hashem. And I'll give you an example a lot closer to home. As a high school Rebbe, I had a fellow who, at least once a week, I had to deprogram. At least once a week, he would come to me and say, Look, Hashem's out to get me. See, this guy said that, and this guy did this, and this happened. You see, you see, you see, Hashem is out to get me. Now, this fellow saw Hashem actively involved in his life. He had no problem with the Muna, but he sure didn't trust Hashem. Hashem was the problem. And Muna is the recognition, the understanding and then Hashem runs the world, Bitochen is learning to trust Hashem. And I believe that's exactly the answer to this Chazal. In the course of history, there was never a human being who saw clearly, as did Moshe Rabbeinu. Bas paklaria with translucency, with total clarity. As I see this desk here, it's solid, it's palpable, it's right here. That's how clearly he saw Hashem. No human being ever will, no human being ever reached that level, absolute clarity. But that's emuna. Bitochan is the unwavering trust. When Hashem promises Avram, ki bi yitzchak yekara will be the father of a Jewish nation. And then Hashem says, Va'aleh, laola, bring him up as a carbon. That's a contradiction. There is no answer. The unwavering faith, the ability to say, just because I don't know, doesn't mean that Hashem doesn't know the ability to say, I don't understand, but Hashem has a plan. That ability to trust in Hashem, apparently at this stage, the Avos had to a greater level. In terms of clarity, in terms of understanding, in terms of emuna. Moshe Rabbeinu was greater. <clears throat> but at this stage, the Avos reached this Mida of absolute, unwavering trust, Bitochan, to a higher level. And Hashem says, <laughs> Moshe Rabbeinu, in this regard, in regard to Bitochen alone, you're not on the level of the Avos. And I believe this is a fundamental concept, understanding the difference between emuna and Bitochon. And I'd like to spend a little bit of time sort of laying out the particulars of both, both emuna and Bitochen, And then I'd like to see if we could see how it applies to our life. So let's begin with the following. There are four levels to basic Emunah. The first level is knowing that Hashem created, orchestrates, and maintains the world. Now, you may say, that's pretty simple, that's pretty obvious, we all got that one. Shem created the world, I get it, I'm not a kofir. I get it. I would like to share with you that that is not so simple at all. One-seventh of your life is dedicated to getting that concept. Shabbos is Zeichel, Ma'asah Barashas. Shabbos allows us to concentrate, to understand that Hashem is the Creator. We don't engage in Malach, we don't engage in creative acts on Shabbos, to bring home to ourselves the reality that Hashem is the creator and I am the creation. But you see, it's not something you think about on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. One-seventh of your life is dedicated to getting that concept because it's supposed to be so clear, so right there, and that it's supposed to be something that changes your existence. And if you'd like to understand what it means in very simple terms, I have a mushle that I think is very, very important. When my daughter was six years old, and she was learning about my abracious about creation in school, one day she came home and she said, Abba, I get it. Before Shem created the world, there were no trees, there were no oceans, no river. I get it. But Abba, what color was it? What color was it? Now, if you think about her question, it actually is pretty interesting. Because if I ask you to think about the moment before creation, if I ask you to close your eyes and imagine... And Before Hashem created the world, what do you see? So typically we see black, but black is a color. Even vacuum implies physicality. Before Hashem created the world, there was absence of anything, complete, absolute void, Hashem said Vayahi, and a hundred billion galaxies, each containing a hundred billion stars, came into existence. And when you think about that, what that means is, and then Hashem is the creator of everything that I see. But it really doesn't end there. Because if you'd like to understand Hashem's relationship to the physical world, I'll give you a moshel that I believe helps to, us to understand. You see, when we human beings act creative, we're not creating anything. I take two pieces of wood, I take some nails, I take a hammer, I bang it together, and I created a shack. Then Evesh explains, I created nothing. I took objects that were in existence, I reshuffled them, moved them around, and all I did was take things in existence and shape them into a different form. For that reason, he explains, if I build a shack and I leave it, and I don't think about it for 20 years, and I come back to the shack, what I expect to see is a shack, maybe a little bit weather-beaten, a little bit tattered, but the shack will still be there because I am not its creator. If you'd like to understand creation, you have to understand that moment before creation. Before creation, there was absence of anything. And when you contemplate that, what you quickly realize is creation is physically impossible. If I have sand, I can bake bricks. If I have molecules, I can make sand. If I have atoms, I can make molecules. If I have quarks, I can make atoms. But if I have absence of anything, there's no sand to bake into bricks, no molecules, there's nothing. There's absence of nothing to shape, nothing to mold, from absolute vacuum, from nothing, Hashem's created the world. A yesh me ayin creation from nothing, something creation, is very, very different than any human being will ever engage in. And when you understand that step, you begin to understand Hashem's relationship to the physical world. And I'll give you a muscle that I think well defines it. Imagine it's a freezing cold February night, and I'm waiting at the bus stop and I'm shivering to the bone. It's so cold that I close my eyes and imagine a beautiful beach scene, white sand, ocean blue, cloudless sky, <clears throat> one lone seagull wafts across the sky. Suddenly the bus comes splash. Gone is the sand, gone is the ocean blue, gone is the seagull. I am the dreamer. As long as I think about the seagull, it exists. The minute I cease thinking about it, it ceases to exist. And that is a yeshmei-ayin creation. You see, when Hashem created the world, Hashem didn't just create it. Hashem created it and maintains it every moment of creation. Because if for a split second Hashem would cease infusing energy into any part of this creation, it would cease to exist. Hashem's relationship to the physical world is akin to my relationship to the dream. I'm the dreamer, as long as I think about the beach, it's there. The minute I stop thinking about the sand, the water, the seagull, it's gone. That is Hashem's relationship to everything in creation. Hashem is the Yeshmei Ayin Creator. Hashem is the Creator and Maintainer of everything in existence. And what that means in plain, simple language is, when I see a rock, I see my Creator. When I see water, I see my Creator. When I see an inanimate object, I have to recognize that there's some creator who created and maintains it. And that certainly means the oceans and the mountains and the rivers. But anything that my eye sees was brought into creation and is held in existence by Hashem at every moment of its existence. And Shabbos is Zecher. Shabbos is a day where we stop creative acts so that we understand this, so we focus on it. And if you think the first level of emuna is so simple, it isn't. It requires constant revisiting, constant thinking about, but that is the first level of Emunah, and knowing that Hashem created and maintains everything in existence. Okay, let's move on. The second level of emuna is knowing that Hashem runs the big picture issues of life. Which countries go to war, which countries enjoy famine, and which New leaders will be elected, which leaders will be voted out of office. All of the big picture issues of life, Hashem determines. If you'd like to understand the second level of emuna, here's a very simple illustration. Just understand that the headlines of the New York Times are written on Rosh Hashanah. But you see, it's not just the headlines of the New York Times; it's the headlines of the international section, the national section. It down to the minute detail, but it's not just Rosh Hashanah. Every day's headline and every section of the newspaper is written by Hashem on Rosh Hashanah. Hashem sits there as the grandmaster over that multi-tiered chessboard, putting this point into position, moving this bishop to where it should be. Hashem decrees mankind's fate. Hashem runs the big picture issues of life. Now if you'd like to understand what that means in plain, simple language... The New York Times a number of years ago bragged about having 460 full-time news correspondents. 16 news boroughs. Why? Because on this planet occupied by some 7.5 billion plus people, there's a lot of stuff going on. And all of it intertwined and interwoven. And if you recognize that Hashem sees the future, and knows what's supposed to be, and plans out every one of those steps you begin to understand the second level of Amunah. The first level of Amunah is knowing that Hashem created and maintains the world. The second level of Amunah is knowing that Hashem handles the big stuff, the big picture issues of life. The third level of Amunah, if you'd like to understand that, I have a very simple example. Imagine you hear about this nice rabbi from Muncie. I hear this Rabbi Schaefer, every Friday he goes to this Almana to this widow's house. He helps a shop. He helps her clean. I heard he's on his floor, on his knees scrubbing. What a tzaddik. You're very impressed. Okay? Until you find out that this widow has an estate worth $25 million and no living heirs. Oh, big tzaddik. You see, my intentions don't color my actions. My intentions define my actions. If my action is a giving, altruistic action, it's because I intend it to be such... If my action is just an attempt to get rich quick, it's because that was my intention. But my kavana, my intentions, define what the act is. And that is the third level of a knowing knowing that Hashem reads through me like a book. Hashem knows my thoughts as I'm thinking them. Hashem knows exactly where I'm coming from, exactly where I'm at, and Hashem knows my thoughts as I'm thinking them. And if you like an illustration of this, at the very last pusik we say in Shemona Esrei, Yiyu imre It should find favor in your eyes, the words of my mouth, vehegion libi, and the thoughts of my heart. You see, I don't need to speak out my words for Hashem to hear them. I speak out my words for a koach of Tila, for it to have the impact, the effect. But Hashem hears my thoughts as I'm thinking them. If you're like a mushel, imagine you go to a science lab and you see that loose sight man. You see the outside is clear, and inside you can see there's the intestines, and there's the lungs, there's the pancreas. You could see right through them, that's me when I'm dominating Shema Hashem peers into my heart, knows exactly my thoughts as I'm thinking them, and that is the third level of Humunah. The first level of Humunah is knowing that Hashem created and maintains the world. second level of Moon is knowing that Hashem runs the big picture stuff of life. The third level of Humunah is knowing that Hashem knows my thoughts as I'm thinking them. And now we're ready for the fourth level of Amuna, Because the fourth level of Amuna is where the real action is at. And to understand that, let's imagine the following. Let's imagine it's a cold evening, and I'm walking alone in the street. And as I'm walking, I notice it's kind of dark, and it is kind of lonely, and it is kind of cold, and there's no one around. And suddenly a car pulls up, stops, three thugs jump out, and one holds a gun, pointing directly at my forehead. Here's the question. I'm a Mamin. I accept that on Rosh Hashanah, Hashem decrees, um who will live and who will die. Here's the question. What good is Hashem's decree back in Tishrei, when we're now in Cheshvan, and my life is in the hands of this drug-crazed kid? What good is Hashem's decree so many months back, when whether I live or die is in the hands of this punk. And the fourth level of Muna is knowing that Hashem is on the scene 24-7. Understanding that if Hashem decrees on Rosh Hashanah who will live and who will die, that means perforce Hashem is with me 24-7, 365, to carry out that decree, because otherwise that decree is useless, is vain. And when you understand this, you understand that Hashem is with me all day, every day when I put my head down on a pillow, and I open my eyes in the morning, as I go about the busyness of my life, and I have an honest admission over here, I hate to admit it, but on a pretty regular basis, as I'm about to start Shimon especially Mincha, I almost want to say the words, Oh, Hashem, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot you were here. You see, I'm so busy, I'm doing, I'm running. I'm, and I forgot that Hashem is here. But remembering, recognizing that Hashem is present and that Hashem is here is the fourth level of Amunah. And The fourth level of Emunah is knowing that Hashem is with me all day, every day, guiding, protecting, with me as I get up in the morning, with me as throughout my day. Hashem is always there. And that requires an awful lot of work. By the way, probably the most religious activity that we engage in is prayer, but real prayer. As in when I'm late, and I can't find my keys. Hashem, please help, please. An earnest request. When I reach out and I say, Hashem, I can't do it. Please help me. I cut through the haze. I recognize Hashem is present. I recognize Hashem runs the world, runs my life. And that is a very religious moment. And that is the essence of tefillah. And that is the fourth level of Muna. The first level of Munah is knowing that Hashem created and maintains the world second level of Moon is knowing that Hashem runs the big picture issues, countries, nations, what happens in the world at large. The third level of Amuna is knowing that Hashem reads my thoughts as I'm thinking them. The fourth level of Moon is knowing that Hashem is intimately involved in the running of my day-to-day, all day, every day. And if you work on this, and really dwell on this, and really, really get this solid right in front of you, you're working on emuna. But that's not bitachon. Bitachon is something different altogether. Bitachon is a sense of trust, the sense of relying, the sense of depending on Hashem. And that requires two simple thoughts. The first thought is very easy to understand and very easy to acquire. The second thought is very, very difficult. It's easy to understand, but to acquire it, mighty, mighty difficult. Let's start with the first the first thought that a person has to have as they want to have any real bitachon is that Hashem loves me more than I love me. As much as I want what's best for me, Hashem wants it even more. As much as I want everything good for me, Hashem wants it even more. As much as I want my success, Hashem wants it even more. As much as I love me, Hashem loves me even more. The Chavos L'Vavos explains that's the first cognition that a person has to have if they want to learn to trust Hashem. And I claim that this one is not that difficult. If you want to work on this one, I have a very simple muster exercise. Watch a mother with a newborn baby. Watch a mother hold the baby, cradle the baby, and you know that the mother will do anything for the baby. The mother would sacrifice her life for the baby. The mother gets up every night for the baby. There's nothing the mother wouldn't do for the baby. Now here's the question. What great deed did the baby do that the mother says, Oh, you're such a great baby. You're so worthy that I'll give up my life for you, great baby. The answer is, the baby did nothing. The reason the mother loves the baby is because Hashem implanted a maternal instinct into the woman. Hashem wants babies to be loved because that's the only way the human race will flourish. And therefore Hashem put an instinct into the heart of the mother and to some extent the father, the maternal, paternal instinct. And the Chavaz Vavaz explains, that is one ten thousandth of a ten thousandth of a ten thousandth of the unbridled love that Hashem has for any one of his creations. If you find that love, find me the love of Avraham Avinu, the absolute, complete, total devotion to another person. That is but a ma'in, a tiny, tiny splinter of the unbridled love that Hashem has for any one of his creations. And when you study pure love in this world, and you know that Hashem implanted it into the heart of the mother or the father, and you know that Hashem is infinitely greater than that, you begin to understand the love of Hashem. And again, the first concept, knowing that as much as I love me, Hashem loves me even more, is not that difficult to attain. It's a second concept that gets us into a lot of trouble. And if you like to understand the second concept, I believe that 80% of our Emunah problems, 80% of our questions on Hashem, 80% of our philosophical dilemmas stem from one mistake. That mistake is called playing God. Playing God means, I know what I need. I explained it to Hashem. And for some reason, Hashem won't play along. Hashem, what's the deal? Are you angry with me? <clears throat> Hashem, I, I, it's, I made up to learn a Dafiyomi. I made up to give it to Hashem, what's the deal? I need this. It's so important. It's so good for me. And why won't you give it to Hashem, keili, keili, lama zavtani. And the thought that maybe this is not for my best, never seems to cross my mind. How many times do you hear a guy had to marry that woman? I absolutely have to marry that woman. And he doesn't marry that woman. And then five years later, he hears that the word mentally unbalanced is an understatement to describe her condition. I got to get this job. I got to get this job. And it doesn't work out. Three years later, he finds the entire industry has been sent over to India. I got to get my kid into this class. It's the best thing for my kid. I got to do it. And he doesn't get his kid into the class. And then six months later he finds there's another child in the, that class who would have been the worst possible influence on his child. Playing God means, I know what I need. And I explained it to God, and I broke deals with God, and Hashem, why won't you, why won't you help? Hashem, what's the deal? But playing God is a pretty dangerous game to play unless you're the creator of the heavens and the earth. And the second cognition, the second understanding that a Jew has to have if he wants to be tachan is knowing that Hashem knows better than I what is for my best. As much as I think I know what I need, Hashem knows a lot better. As much as I think this is exactly the best thing in the world, it might be and it might not be. But just because I think it's good doesn't mean it is. And knowing that Hashem knows better than I what's for my best is a second cognition. When you embrace these two concepts, that Hashem loves me more than I love me, and that Hashem knows better than I what's for my best, you take your heavy load and you transfer to Hashem. I have a job to do in this world. Hashem wants me to use this world in the ways of the world. I mean, to stay healthy, I have to eat right, after have to exercise, to earn a living, I've got to get a job. When it's time to go out, I go out and find the shidduch. That's my job. My job is to use the world in the ways of the world. And then once I've done my job, I take my heavy load, I transfer to Hashem, I say, Hashem, all outcomes are up to you. My job is to do this childless, to use the world. But every outcome is up to you. I trust you. I trust in your plan. Hashem, you know better than I what's for my best. When you embrace these two concepts, that Hashem loves me more than I love me, and Hashem knows better than I what's for my best, there's a sense of calm, equanimity. I take my heavy load, I transfer to Hashem, and I know that Hashem has got my back. But it requires an awful lot of work. I think this Chazal is eye-opening. And what Hashem was saying to Moshe beno is, you might have it absolutely clear. You may see Hashem with absolute clarity, but that's Emunah. Emuna is knowing that Hashem created the world, runs the world. But that's not Bitochan. Bitochen is trust, unwavering trust. I told Avram that he'll be the father of the Jewish nation, and then I told him to kill that child. That the ability to say, Hashem, I don't know. I don't get it but you do and I'm trusting in you at that stage in life and Moshe Beno was not yet on the level of the Avos and Hashem said Chaval al di Avdim and Moon has four levels, number one, knowing that Hashem created and maintains everything in the world and it takes a lot of work, that's what Shabbos is about, but it requires reading it requires studying, it requires taking pictures I highly recommend you become a photographer, but not with your iPhone or your camera, use your mind's eye I remember we went to Grand Canyon, and I took many, 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 many pictures. I stood at the chasm, and I wanted to memorize that scene, because I wanted to bring it up in my mind's eye the next time I daven, because when you take a scene like that, and you emblazon it in your mind, and then you bring it up, it, you grow in a moon, or you grow, you see Hashem. But it requires constant work. The first level of a moon is knowing that Hashem created and maintains the world, that there was absolute absence of anything. And Hashem said, And it came into existence, and much like I, to the seagull, I'm the dreamer, as long as I dream about the seagull that exists, the minute I cease thinking about it, it ceases to exist, that's Hashem's relationship to everything in the physical world. Hashem is the creator, Ex from nothing. And <clears throat> from nothing requires not just the creative act, but the maintaining of it also, and any given moment Everything in creation is kept in existence by Hashem. And what that means, again, is that anything that my eye sees has been brought into existence and is maintained in existence by Hashem. I have a constant infusion of emunah. Wherever I look, anything I see, I see my Creator. The second level of emunah is knowing that Hashem runs the big picture issues of life. When you read the headlines of the papers... You read it as a Jew should read it. And I read it with the understanding, I can't wait to see what Hashem has in mind. The Democrats, the liberals, the Republicans, what's going to be? Corona. I can't wait to see what Hashem has in mind. I can't wait to see where Hashem is leading us. The third level of a moon is knowing that Hashem knows my thoughts as I'm thinking them. When I damage Shmonesrei, I'm not loose sight man. Hashem peers into the essence of me. You Larotan imrefi the last pasuk. Every Shmonesrei, think about it when you say it. The words of my mouth should find favor in your eyes. Vehegion libi and the thoughts of my heart. I don't need to speak out my words for Hashem to hear them. Hashem hears my thoughts. The fourth level of Amuna is where the action is at, and knowing that Hashem is involved in the day to day of my life, all day every day. And all of those, when you work on them, are working on Amunah. Betachan is working on the understanding that I rely on Hashem, I trust in Hashem. I can know that Hashem runs the world. Paro certainly did, but he didn't trust in Hashem. That yeshiva fellow who said, Hashem is out to get me, he saw Hashem involved in his world, but he didn't trust in Hashem. Trusting in Hashem requires these two concepts. Hashem loves me more than I love me. Hashem knows better than I what's for my best. When you work on Amunah, And you work on Bitochan, there's a sense of calm, a sense of equanimity. You take your heavy load, you transfer to Hashem, you say, Hashem, I've done my part. You run the world, I trust in you. And there's a beautiful sense of calm in your essence. And I'd like to finish with a story that I think well encapsulates these concepts. Every detail of the story is true except for one. The story happened to a good friend of mine, and he asked me not to use his name. So every detail except the name of the person is as it happened Ruvain Goldstein was learning in Kolo, he was living in Forest Hills and his brother-in-law lived in Kew Gardens in any case his wife made up and both families were going to be at Ruvain's house that Shabbos so Ruvain's wife cooks the entire Shabbos and Thursday night when she's all done cooking she gets a call from her sister you know my husband came home late we're not going to I don't think we're going to come we're not going to come to Shabbos Ruvain's wife says, well, you're not going to come." What do you mean I cook? Come on, we both do come, don't come. And finally Ruvain's wife says, listen, I cook the whole Shabbos anyway. Let's do this. Instead of everybody being by me, I'll pack up the food, and we'll both be by you. So that's what they made up. So instead of both families being by Ruvain's house at Shabbos, both families were at the brother-in-law's house. Okay. In any case, Ruvain describes, and he walks into his brother-in-law's apartment. He sees on the coffee table a book, Who by Fire. This is the story of a young woman living in Yushalayim. When she's inside her apartment, the apartment bursts into flame, smoke, flame. She runs out, finds herself in the hall, untouched. And she realizes that her children are still in the apartment. She runs in, grabs one kid, runs in, grabs a second kid, runs in, grabs a third kid. She saved all of her children, but she suffered burns on 85% of her body. Who by fire is a harrowing read? A beautiful story of a woman's amunah habitachan, but a very, very frightening read, because you see what it means to be burnt alive. In any case, Ruven describes that he picked up the book, and he couldn't put it down. He read it cover to cover that Shabbos. He's a big masmin, normally he'd be learning, he'd be chazaring. He couldn't put the book down. He didn't think much about it, but he walked in by minchat to yeshiva. He walks into the base medish, gets a sitter, and as he's about to take his place, he notices that everyone is looking at him. My time, I said. Why is everybody looking at me? does not think much about it. And <clears throat> Dovminshvanezrei takes three steps back, looks up, and again notices that everyone's looking at him. I said, Why is everybody staring at me? He doesn't know what to make of it, and <clears throat> he goes over to a friend of his after Dominic and says, "Why is everybody staring at me?" His friend said, "You didn't hear?" Ruvin said, "No, hear what?" His friend said, "Well, I'm <clears throat> sorry to be the one to tell you this, but last night your house burnt down." 2 a.m., the furnace exploded. The entire building was destroyed. Everyone in it was killed. Ruvain, his wife, and his kids were untouched because they weren't there. They were at the law's house. But the pivotal moment in Ruvain's life was not that Thursday night conversation, do come, don't come, my place, your place. Uh-uh. The pivotal moment in Ruvain's life was the previous Rosh Hashanah. When there was a diyun, there was a judgment. And Ruven was told, read the story. Read the book and understand there was a judgment on the previous Rosh Hashanah. For whatever reason, you and your family were saved, but this was the judgment, and understand that this was the issue that was being weighed and decided. <clears throat> doesn't just mean who will live and who will die, the exact details, Miba eish, mi ba and he was told, read the story. When we dam and shmona three times a day, we say the words, Melech Ozer U-Moshia u <clears throat> Melech Ozer means where Hashem helps like Hashem thanks a lot 60% me, 40% Hashem thank you God okay very nice Moshiach is when Hashem saves me I'm in the pit and I can't get out and I acknowledge Hashem it was you thank you for saving me but what's Mogin, what's shield what does that mean a number of years ago I was running here Muncie. it was a rainy night and usually when I run, I'm thinking about either shoes and learning, and I'm very absorbed, and in any case, as I'm running down the street here, a car comes way too close, and splash me splash, breaks my stride <clears throat> I kind of stop for a moment I <clears throat> begin running again and then when I get to the corner I'm about to put my foot down as I'm about to put my foot in the street another car coming this way, whoosh I feel the whoosh of the air and then I did the math had the first car coming this way not come too f- close, not splashed me, had not broken my stride, instead of putting my foot down into the street at the moment I did, my foot would have been in the middle of the street. Car, human body, crash, no good. And Mogain means shield. Hashem arranged that the first car should come too close, splash me, so my stride should be broken, so that I should be one step back, so that when the car passes and the other way, it misses me and doesn't hit me. Mugging means Hashem is my shield. When I don't even see it, I don't even realize it, all day, every day. <clears throat> when you work on Amunah, when you work on seeing Hashem in the world, and you work on Bittachon, then you begin reading your story. And you see the amount of times that Hashem saved you, the amount of time Hashem rescued you. There's a sense of trust, a sense of equanimity, a sense of tranquility, when you realize that Hashem loves you more than you love you, and Hashem knows better than you what's for your best. And now I'd like to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. Please feel free to raise your hand. You can type in your question if you don't want to raise your hand. But please feel free to raise your hand with a question. And While people are, while I'm waiting for people to get the courage to ask questions, let me just quickly mention um, the book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes that Very Smart Couples Make. The book is out. It's on theschmooze.com. It's also in Swarm stores, but if you go to the... Uh, to you also get the audiobook ebook and the marriage transformation bootcamp. It is, I, camp it is it 's been really i 've been receiving rave reviews it 's out only a few weeks but the rave reviews i 've been getting thank you Rabbi Shev, it helped me understand marriage help me it, it, it really I, I spent a tremendous amount of time in the past fifteen years i 've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of couples and I see people making the same mistakes over and over and over and I just tried to spend as much time as I could to put together the basics of what a successful marriage needs. <clears throat> Gender differences, relationship issues, how to the art of the apology, communication. If you really, I, I highly recommend it. It's, it's a great read for you, for your spouse, for married children, for friends. The 10 really dumb mistakes that very small couples make. If you go to the t h e s h m u z T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, it's available in Swarm Stores, it's available on Amazon. <clears throat> but if you go to the theschmooze.com, you also get a free bonus... You get the audio book, the ebook, as well as the Marriage Transformation Boot Camp. So if you go to shmuz.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. And now people have had the time to get their questions together. So let's take the first question. Stephen, the floor is yours. Yes.
1: Oh, hi. Hi. So Rabbi, I just say what you said was very eloquent, and I, I, I agree with it, and I disagree, not disagree philosophically, but I'm just questioning. You say we should know that everything is from Hashem. And we should know we can't wait. So the thing is, my question to you is: in our own lives, we sometimes experience misfortune. Khasra And then in the history of the Jewish people, as you know, there have been kinds of great misfortune, great tragedy, the Holocaust, etc. So on one level, I feel like it's not my job to question that. It's my job to be happy for what I have. But so, what well, and theoretically, what answer would you give someone? If they're in the Shoah or God forbid some other time of tragedy and they're just going off to a tragic end, just their demise. So I already know philosophically we can't question it. We live in the world created by Hashem and Hashem gives us everything and he has blessed us. I don't question that at all. And I know we don't know the answer, Misfortune. But based upon what you, I've always want to ask a rabbi this, based on the fact that you just spoke very eloquently, very inspiringly, that we should know everything is from Hashem. What do you say to someone when the end is going to be negative? It's just going to be tragic. It's, I've, I've heard this answer from different people. I'd like to hear it from you. Okay. What do you say when, God forbid, they are headed for tragedy, there is no happy ending, and they just have to go along and there's nothing they can do about it? What's the answer Good. to that?
0: Okay. So, Steve, let me answer your question with really two parts to it. <clears throat> what I say to a person in trouble and what you say, what you call the philosophical answer, are vastly different. The philosophical question is always easy to answer. If <clears throat> you want to answer the question, you go to the schmooz.com, You see, Shmooz number thirty three is where was God during the Holocaust. Shmooz number thirty four is eternal people, <clears throat> exalted nation or oppressed na- people. Um ideal, schmooze number sixty three is um, when uh, one sixty three is <clears throat> when only the good die young. But first, start with 33 and 34. Where was God during the Holocaust? And the next one, uh, number 163, only the good die young. And philosophically, these questions are very, are very simple to understand when you're able to step back and look at life from 35,000 feet. But what you asked me was, what do I say to a person when they're suffering? When they're in the, the answer is, I don't say anything. My job wow. is to hold their hand, and my job is to be an emotional support. My job is not to be a philosopher. I'll give you a good example. I went to a shiva call. My mother had passed away um, uh, about a year before this, and it was a good friend of hers whose 40-year-old son died. It was a tragic situation. He was playing basketball. He went in for a jump shot, and he died on the way down. A heart attack, dead. Right. Now, <clears throat> my mother had passed away not that long ago. I wasn't that close with the woman, but my mother was, and I felt since my mother couldn't be there, so I I felt I should be there. So I walk into the shiva house and it's a packed room. And as I walk in, the woman who's sitting shiva looks up and says, "Oh, Barry's here." So she knew me as she knew me since I'm a little boy. Barry, Barry can answer the question: Why did Hashem do this? Why did Hashem do this? Wow. Tell me the answer. Wow. Okay. Right. So I sat down next to her, and I said nothing, nothing. I sat there with her. The only thing I did mention, I remember your son, when he was a little guy in the bed, it was, I, I babysat for him, he was a little, and I, I, but I said basically nothing, almost nothing, I just sat with her. A month later, and my father speaks to this woman, and this woman says, you know, your son gave me such nachama, I had such consolation when he came. Wow. Why? Because that's my job my job when I see a Jew suffering is not to be a philosopher. We want to come to the shir, we want to learn philosophy, go to the we answer questions, but when a person's in pain, my job is to feel the pain, my job is to be with them. So, really, again, my recommendation is go to the look at Shmooze 33, Where is God during the Holocaust? Look at Shmooze 163, Only the Good Die Young. I think you'll get answers to those, but again, that's in the philosophical realm. When we're in the emotional realm, in pain, my job is to be with them. I right, see a pleasure well, hearing from I, you. And... What? I'm sorry? appreciate you. Okay. Now, that,
1: that, that, my question. Thank okay. you for answering
0: it so okay. specifically. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Okay. Ramon, you have the floor. I believe you do. Yes, you do. I believe you do. Uh, sorry. Uh, hi, Rabbi. Hi. What happens when
1: we do something bad or take a, 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 a sin and
0: and that's, <clears throat> that's why we, we, we are punished? We are that from Hashem, or that's from from us. Okay, so <clears throat> punishments are are a little tricky because the real punishments are not. <clears throat> the only reason Hashem punishes a person is to help them grow, to bring them back on the path. Hashem doesn't. You have to understand. I could get angry at you and I want to take vengeance, I want to take revenge. Hashem doesn't get angry. Hashem is beyond any anger. Hashem, if Hashem were ever angry at a person, Hashem would just dissolve that person. Hashem would cease infusing energy into that person. But Hashem is <clears throat> beyond anger. The only reason why Hashem gives us corrections and directional signals and pain and things is to put us back on the right path. Now, there are times when you, we do things that we're not supposed to and we need a wake up call, we need a correction. It's very hard to know when you're going through something in life whether it's a, as you say, a punishment or it's just part of life. In other words, meaning there are things that we're going to go through in life because Hashem wants us to go through things. There are many situations that we go through that force us to choose. We either transcend or we crumble up, but choose we must. Many situations are not punishments nor reward. They're just what we call in the show notes: they're tests. Trials to see how we respond, how we deal with it. So being able to identify knowing whether this situation is a punishment or a test or trial isn't simple at all. So the one thing I can tell you is that if it's a punishment, it's not a punishment where Hashem is angry and seeking revenge, I'm going to get back at you. That's, that's a very childlike understanding. Hashem is beyond anger, Hashem is beyond any need for retribution or revenge. Uh, if anything that Hashem brings as a punishment is correctional, is to help us get back on course. All right, does, does that answer the question, Ramon? Yes, thank you. Okay, very good. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, let me uh, disable talking, and let me take uh, Avram. You didn't get a chance last time, so Avram, we've to give you a, a shot. Avram, you got the floor.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, hi. Um, the interesting
1: question is, how do you balance, on the one hand, you know, Hashem is running everything, and I have to be talking to one of the people, Every every all the answers are already there. On the other hand, how do I doubt it? I can I can ask for 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 money or for a better life or something. Or at the same time, how do I not ask for details without knowing that? <clears> he <throat> already knows it was better for me. Like, how do I balance that out?
0: Okay, so here's the simple reality: there are many times that Hashem will hold back something just so that you ask. All the others were barren. They couldn't have children. Why? Because Hashem wanted them to ask. Because when we ask, we're able to cut through the mask, cut through the haze of physicality, and recognize that Hashem is really the one who gives it to us. Many, many times Hashem will hold back something until we ask so that we can realize and recognize that it comes from Hashem. So ask. You better ask. Because many times that's the key that's going to give you. Meaning, you have to do your shtadlis, you have to do what you use the world in the ways of the world. But a big part of your istadlus is domining, is asking, and many, many times that's the key that will actually unlock for you the brocha that you're supposed to be getting.
1: But how does it? But again, at the same time, you don't want to. Add, you don't want to go and say, "I want a billion dollars," but at the same time, like, can you die, How do you die for Nassau in general? That, do you be general just have one for nussa? No,
0: no listen. You have a right. Listen. Listen. I have a right to say, to Hashem, Hashem. Listen. I have basic needs. I need a house. I need a car. I need my kids. And tuition. I need clothing. Now, I I don't have a right to say Hashem, I need a penthouse apartment on Fifth Avenue. I need a yacht. I need uh, that, that's you know, if Hashem grants me a shirus, that's whatever. But I do have a right to to expect that Hashem is going to take care of my needs. <clears throat> what are my needs? My needs are what I need, not what I want necessarily, but what I need. Hashem is a zon is a olam kula. Hashem feeds the entire world everything from the antelope to the giraffe to the spider to the monkey Hashem feeds every creation in the world and Hashem takes care of us even more so so I have every right to assume that Hashem is going to take care of my needs, now again it's my needs not necessarily my wants, so I could ask Hashem if I have bills to pay, if I'm living a normal lifestyle and I have bills to pay and I can't pay Hashem please help help I need help please now I have a suggestion it is wise to end every tefillah with the words if it's for the best because, I don't know, I assume that getting this job would be for my best. I could learn, and I could dominate, I could spend time with the kids, and I can earn a living, so please, Hashem, if it's for the best, let it work out. But every bakasha, every request, end with the words, if it's for the best, because again, you don't want to you know, you keep things in line. Thank you so much. Okay. Great Very job. Good, okay, good job. Thank you. Okay, please feel free to ask a question if you have a question. Um, you can raise your hand. Uh, you could also type questions in. Uh, okay, let me, there's a question in, the very original question doesn't seem to be a valid question, because even though at the end of the day Moshe was the greatest, but who said that he was on that level yet at this early point in his life? Maybe he had not yet been on the great level of us. Excellent question, excellent question. Here's the problem. The problem is, that in the beginning of the shlichas, Hashem spoke to Moshe in a level of nevuah that the others never had. When Hashem spoke to Moshe, even in the snare, that was a level of nevuah while Moshe was fully awake. That was a level of nevuah that even Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov did not reach in the beginning, especially. Keep in mind, in the early nevuah of Avram, it was it was when he was sleeping. Betar Hashem appears to him, and even later on the clarity that Moshe had by the snare was much greater than the others ever had. So even at this stage, he's at a greater level of nevuah. and he's at a greater level of, of clarity. So uh, even though you're right, he was not yet Moshe may know who he was at 120, but even at this stage, he was greater than were the Ovos, and it seems to be rather perplexing. So I believe that's the uh, that's why the original question was a good question, I believe. Okay. Um, wow, that question, I can't hear. How does a person know when he or she is ready to start dating. Okay, first of all, if you're thinking about dating, let me recommend this book. The 10 Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. And let me explain to you why I recommend it. I was just on uh, the 10k Bate, K Bate Yisrael, and it was a singles event, and I was promoting this book, and I explained to them the following. Everyone, when they're going out, has these illusions. I know what I need. I need this, I need this, I need someone introverted, extroverted, bold, and timid, funny, and uh, I know exactly what I need. Now, the problem is that until you're married a good 20 years, 40 years or more, you don't understand marriage, and you certainly don't understand yourself, and you certainly don't understand across the gender divide what it is that you need. You read this book, you get a fundamentally different understanding of what a marriage is about. And when you do that, you're able to look with a much clearer perception as to who this person is and what I'm looking for. So before you start the dating process, grab a copy of the book, go to theschmuz.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, pick up a copy of the 10 Really Dumb Mistakes that Very Smart Couples Make, and read it. Now, after that, after you read the book... When do you know you start ready to date? That's a very good question. You have to speak to someone who knows you well. You have to have a Rav, a Rebbe, a mentor, someone who's older and wiser, who knows you well, and can answer that question. Because to maintain a relationship, to be a spouse, is not so simple. It requires a good deal of maturity, a good deal of being balanced. You have to have your stuff kind of worked out. So I certainly can't answer that question for you, and that's a question and hopefully you'll have people who can help you, whether it be a rove, maybe a rabbits, and someone who knows you well uh, who can guide you and let you let you know the answer to that okay um, okay, what is your please feel free to raise your hand, hands are much easier right, hands up are much easier uh, Bacha, you have your hands up let's, uh, you have the floor, go ahead please Hi Hi, thank, thank you so much um I have heard snips of uh, your discussion on B'Talchan and Amuna in various other uh, forums, and I have to tell you, Rabbi, you are the only person who has made it intelligible to me and something I keep coming back to. So right. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. And continue bringing
1: it up. Um, which uh, uh, I'm learning with a beginner. Mm-hmm. and she would have difficulty with words that you used like sne, um, un- mm-hmm. untranslated. Right. Um, which Shmuzim are some that I can direct her to? Okay. Maybe ones that include like Okay, here's
0: a recommendation. If you go to the you'll see on the top a major and minor series. And if you hover over that, you'll see and the very first one is called Bitochan Workshop. Bitochon Workshop is a series, I think it's 8 or 12 um, lectures shurim, on the issue of Bitochan. And I said it very clearly, I, I translated, I think I translate everything, you know, uh, uh, with, with very few exceptions. So it's it's very accessible. Um, and so if you go to shmooz.com it's also available on the shmooz app, it's also on the shmooz podcast. But you're going to look for major series, and you're going to look for Bitochan Workshop workshop, And again, you'll see there about... I think it's 8 or 12. I forgot how many um, that make up that workshop. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I just looked. It's 24. Go, 24 recorded shurim. <laughs> okay, a few more than 8. Um, it was a while ago. Um, but in any case, it's a good place to start. They're shorter. Uh, back in those days, I, I recorded shorter... Uh, there may be a half hour each. Uh, yeah, 24 sections, a half hour each. It's a good place to start. Um, if that's too daunting... I, she doesn't have to go through all of it. Let us start, because here, the, the, uh, as a matter of fact, a lot of what I discussed this evening, I fleshed out there much to much greater extent. Session, there's the introduction, then Emunah Bitochan, understanding the difference, four levels of Muna, stop playing God, Bitochan and Ishtadus, finding the balance, essence of our belief system, what B'Sheth really means, and why does Hashem want man to work? So, uh, you, you'll see it goes through all the, the t- many of the topics of Bitochan, but again, it's very fleshed out, very accessible. So, again, I highly, go to the com, major and minor series, click on major series, and you'll see Bitochan workshop. And again, you can do it on the schmooze app or the schmooze podcast as well. Okay. Okay, I hope that answers the question. Okay. I assume we did.
1: Thank you so
0: much. Okay, my pleasure. Okay, Was- thank you. Okay, thank, thank you. you. so much. Thank you. Good uh, job. Good job. Okay, <clears throat> please feel free. We'll take one or more, two more questions. Um, uh, let me just see. Uh, okay, um, yeah, please resend. If you send me an email, and I d- generally speaking, I try to respond to email. If you send an re- email, if you have a question, please feel free to email to Rebbe, R-E-B-B-E dot r e b b e at the Rebby at the I try to answer emails if i don't answer email, please send a second email because i do like everybody I pretend to be very busy and I do get a lot of email and i do tend unfortunately things tend to end up in that black hole called the email inbox so please feel free someone asked that I didn't answer an email so if i if you please feel free to ask questions by email and if I don't respond, please feel free to ask again. Send just cut, cut and paste, cut it and send it again, and hopefully by the second time I'll, I'll get it. Um, okay, if it is a question, if a doesn't affect the outcome, it's just something we have to do, like paying, like paying a tax. We have to pay. Why do we have to do it? Why can't Hashem just give us what we need? How should we go about that? Okay, so if you want to know why Hashem wants you to work. It's for your good, not for Hashem. Hashem doesn't need you to work. You see, when you do your shdalus, when you're using the world and the ways of the world, that's the real challenge of growing in amuna. It's very easy to sit back in my armchair and say Hashem runs the world. But when I have to earn a living and I have to go through the motions and all the while realize that it's my actions, but it's Hashem determines the outcome, that's the real growth. That's when it becomes real. That's when it becomes not just a philosophical issue. Remember, I discussed earlier. You know, I don't play philosopher when someone else is pain. <clears throat> when you're in the trenches, when you're thick and thin of life, <clears throat> that's when you're really growing in emuna. You can't learn emuna in the base medrus. You can't learn emuna <clears throat> by listening to the bittachon workshop. You learn the theory over there, but you actually learn emuna. You learn real bittachon in the thick and thin of life, <clears throat> when you're in trouble, when you have to rely on Hashem, when you say Hashem, I can't do it, please help, <clears throat> and you see the salvation. It's by living life. That's how emuna becomes real, that's how Bittacham becomes real, and that's why ultimately we have to do our Yishtad, that's why we have to do our our part. Okay, <laughs> very good. Alright, I thank you. Um, again, if you haven't gotten a chance to get the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, go to the com. If you buy it there, you'll also get the uh, audio book, ebook, as well as the Marriage Transformation Book Camp. If you already bought the book in the store, and you would like the audio book, uh, Please send me an email to rebi at the I'll gladly share the audiobook with you. But again, if you buy it now on the you get the audiobook, the ebook, as well as marriage transformation boot camp. I thank you very much for coming. I hope you have a good Shabbos. See you next week. Thank you.